Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress, the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every damn week. It's a show where we break down each and every minute, or each and every film in the franchise, one blimey minute at a time, or something like that. Damn it. You know, I say this all the time, and then I finally messed it up. One time out of a 300. Okay, there you go. Or maybe a couple times. Anyways, one blimey minute at a time. There we go. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlshow.com. You seem a little subdued already. Uh-oh. That doesn't bode well. Are you going to be subdued through the whole show? I don't know. Are you bringing the low energy today? Maybe. Oh my gosh. Thanks for joining us for the low energy episode 119 of season two. As we choke on minutes 138, 139 of Dead Man's Chest, or maybe shed a tear, I should say, for minutes 138 and 139. I think I said choke last time. So let's just say tear, share a tear. Shed a tear or share a tear? I think it's both, because we'll find that out Okay, up. I'll, I'll try to force a tear out and share it with you. <laughs> We're all going to share tears together. I did my usual brush over the latest news. I'm not going to say this every time. Did but you find anything on... No, but there, there's Hoodwink. more. <laughs> Hoodwink. No, come on. It was like, what was that? Honk News. That was the last one. There were more of these egregious websites popping up, but I, I looked over them because I got caught by Change.org. There was this Change.org petition that had been launched a while back urging Disney to reconsider ditching Johnny Depp, you know, as Captain Jack Sparrow. And it's actually it's getting... ridiculous, people. It's getting close to 200,000. When I checked the number out the other day, it was over 185,000 signatures, which is more than three times the number of signees compared to the petition that they did last year. So with all that Amber Heard stuff coming out, people are like, oh, okay, maybe he's not such a bad dude, and we'd like to see him as a pirate again. So it seems really like people want uh, Captain Jack Sparrow as back in the films as Johnny Depp, or reverse that whole thing. I talk about low energy... But this is going to be my like dyslexic podcast where I say things in going reverse going on. I did come across a piece from a well, okay from that scoundrel-ridden BuzzFeed. The clickbait said, "Only someone who's seen Pirates of the Caribbean: Curse of the Black Pearl three times will pass this quiz." And given that I've only seen the movie twice, I figured you know I might as well give it a shot. So I obviously fell for their headline. Click that link. Firstly. Shame on me, and I apologize to everyone out in the world for contributing to clickbait because I clicked it, okay? Secondly, I managed to, of course, dominate the quiz. 
I don't know if it has something to do with the hundreds of episodes of Pirates of the Caribbean that we've done. But yeah, pirate domination right there. Really? Yeah. BuzzFeed, How do we know this? Because BuzzFeed officially said, I got 11 out of 11 right and I'm a perfect pirate. A perfect pirate. Did you hear that? Really? That's what it said to me. And that, and I, I, and I called that. them scoundrel ridden at first, but now I'm starting to rethink my opinion of BuzzFeed. Because it's official, it said. This is all part of the little certificate that it showed up there. It says, it's official. You're a devil. You're a black sheep. You're a really bad egg. And I thought, you guys know you're Pirates of the Caribbean. And then it says, you know this masterpiece of a movie like the back of your hand. Drink up me hearty yo-ho. Really? So I printed it out and put it on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get it framed. And I will be known as the perfect pirate. You know, they did. So, okay. They have no idea how much time I've spent with these movies, for one thing. But there was one question that I almost couldn't remember. And I'm almost ashamed to say it. And I had to think of it for a minute. I had to actually think, go back and think of the dialogue to, to get it right. And I'm wondering if you know it. Now I'm putting you on the, the air spot here. How many hours a day does Will Turner say he practices sword fighting? And your choices are three hours, four hours, five hours, or six hours. How many hours a day does Will Turner say six. he practices sword fighting? Six. Ooh, see, you wouldn't be a perfect Five. pirate. Walk the plank. No, oh my gosh, don't embarrass yourself. We can't give the answer. Oh, see, I wasn't supposed to give the answer. Dang it. Okay, we'll give this one and then everybody gets a freebie. So now they got to take it off. Three the hours a day. Yes, it's three hours. It's amazing. I didn't think about it. I just shot out. Really? Yeah, and then I remembered. I'm going to post the link on the Facebook page and in the Facebook group. Cursed listeners <laughs> group. But now you've told close, everybody. You're going to post clickbait. Yeah, I'm going to post clickbait. <laughs> okay. So then all those scallywags will also be accomplices to joining in the clickbait fun. And then they can also see how much they remember from the first movie. I didn't think it was all that difficult. But then again, like I said, for me, it's maybe a different story. Maybe for the audience. I mean, we're all a bit on the Abbey Normal side of the Pirates franchise here if we're listening to this. So let's just say that. Speaking of uh, Abbey Normal, though, and like I said, I will post that and I'll post it. Right away, just so I don't get called out on it. There we go. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm going to. Okay. No one will call me out. Literally, as soon as I'm done, I'll, I'll go do that. Whew, that's, that's a lot of pressure for me. But as I was saying when we were talking about Abby Normal, what are you planning to amaze me this week with Pirate Word of the Week? Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two, yarr. Oh, you didn't bring one? Did you uh, not bring no, a pirate no, word do, of the week? No, I do. Kind of. I do. I'm just at something I didn't want to lose. and Really? Yeah. This is like on air. Sorry. Oops. Strangers in the night. <laughs> exchanging glances. Strangers in the night. I forgot about word of the week. So you don't have word of the week? No, is this I went a- looking into something else while I was sitting here. So I had it open so I could bring it up because I completely forgot I have to do a word of the week. You have okay. so little to do for this show. It's not a word. It's a fa- phrase. Not Uh-oh. a phase either. A phrase. Again, a phrase. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pirate the, phrase of the week. The devil to pay. The devil to pay. Yeah. Okay. That's a good one. That has a good tie-in. So the phrase refers to a person making a pact or bargain with the devil. I know that well. Yeah. I have done it. And, uh, Yeah. A heavy price has to be paid in the end. The best known example of the origin 
is Faust. Uh-huh, Faust, yeah. And he died in 1540, so it would have been before that. A German astronomer and necromancer reputed to have sold his soul to the devil. Wow. Give it up for necromancers right there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for bringing the origin, though. But that ties in well with the minutes, especially after Maccus was like, he bested the devil last time. Yeah. I tried to come up with some. It gets a little difficult sometimes. It's difficult sometimes. Well, I have some thoughts for next season on stuff like that. But anyways, now that you actually brought that up, it's actually good like timing. It's a good lead-in. It's a good transition. Because in the previous minutes, Jack beats the devil. The Black Pearl sinks like the devil. Davy Jones cries out like the devil. Jeez. Ian Mercer smirks like the devil. Norrington sells his soul to the devil. And Beckett, well, he's simply the devil. Minute 138 begins with Norrington approaching Beckett as his desk. Oh, man. As his desk? Yeah, he's... As like, his desk. He's dressed in Is Halloween. That... <laughs> he's like this big old desk shuffling up there. Does he have, like, his tooth on his shoulder he has the tur- or something? He has the tooth. He you has, know? like, the inkwells on the shoulder. Yeah, he's, he's fully dressed as a desk. Dang it. That was... I knew this wasn't going to be good. My question is, is he on his hands and knees? He's on his hands and knees, yes. As a table? Yes, he is a living table. Dang it. But Norrington does approach Beckett at his desk, who is finishing his question, Jack's compass. Now, don't say anything, because I'll address that in a second. But Norrington responds with a smile, better, as he drops Davy Jones' bagged heart on the desk. Minute 139 ends with the Black Pearl crew at Tia Dalma's shack. Gives his continuing to speak, he fooled us right till the end, but I guess that honest streak finally won out. Tears roll down Elizabeth's cheek as we cut back to Gibbs as he raises his mug and says, To Jack Sput Dot, dot, dot. We got a dot, dot, dot in. We haven't had one of those in a while. Not since our return from the hiatus. So that's where we go. That's where we end. So for the... Are you sure it's dot, dot, dot? Are you really? Are you questioning me? You've been blasted yeah. every time you ask me that. So for those sticklers out there, I went with Jack's compass, is what Beckett is saying to Norrington right when the minute starts in this breakdown. But Heather says the line is to do. Do you have? Is the do compass. you have the compass? Based on like the Blu-ray captions that come up. Yeah. And then it sounds like he says Jack's compass to me. That's why I went with that. Uh-huh. It says on the Blu-ray, and then even the script seems to back that up. So I'm just pointing that out that I, I went with my hearing. gut. Heather went with facts. And then the the script backed it up. The script actually says, "Do you, do you, do you, do you, do you have the compass?" <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So that's for the sticklers out there. So where you know to get like get started with all this stuff in these two minutes, I'm not really sure. I mean, I watch what's going on, but not exactly sure where to take things just yet because it's not that I think they're bad minutes. I mean, it's stuff. Some stuff we've already covered here, and that's kind of where my well, problem we've covered is. Beckett's office, we've covered Tia Dalma's home, you know. So it's kind of like, yeah, covered all the people in the scenes. Yeah. So what works for me in these minutes, I'll just go there. Let's just do that. Is that it starts with Beckett and Norrington's interaction, and there's a lot said between them without a lot of dialogue between them. So it's like. There's a lot of this facial stuff, these facial cues, these emotions coming out, but we're not getting all that dialogue. And we simply don't need it. And I would argue it makes for kind of a stronger wrap-up of this particular scene. Right, because as you said, 
Norrington's making a deal with the devil. He really looks like he's making the deal with the devil. Yeah, he's not really happy about it. I mean, the motion on both their faces makes this scene for me. I mean, Beckett is like a child on Christmas, seeing that nasty bag pulse with the heart inside. Well, Norrington is sitting kind of at the top of the, you know, tattered world. But he's not, like, overjoyed about it. But he knows Papa's going to get a brand new set of clothes soon. And that's kind of <laughs> what drives him there. So he's happy about that. But he knows that, it, I don't think, I think he knows that it feels wrong to make a deal with this guy. Well, but he knows that he has to do it. The guy screwed him over. So I think that's what's going on. And he knows that he's got the royal flush. I mean... He maintains his composure. That's maybe maybe more of an apt way to say it. That he's he's not really like, he's still got the poker face going on. He knows what he's got, but he's not so like, it's not like he's doing tap dancing in front of Beckett's desk there. Like, I got the hot, you know, da 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 whatever. He's just got it. He's just standing there. It's almost like the return of the gentleman he once was. It's a glimmer of it anyways. But it's almost like, ooh, is this a bad idea to give this dude the heart? I think he's thinking that. Right? Yeah, he is. Because he knows what the heart means, right? But he knows he's got nasty clothes on. He's finally got to change up. He needs that So does that he pound, uh, that pence or whatever. To, to, he needs to, to get a bath or something. I mean, crawl in the ocean, Norrington. My God, man. It's all around you. Go swimming. Does he have a plan? Well, we'll have to find Scheming that out. Scheming a plan. We'll have to see what the scheming happens in at World's End. What I like about those, it's leaving... Things with a win for Norrington. And that's an excellent kind of topping for Dead Man's Chest. And it's a bookend for Curse of the Black Pearl. Norrington gets the Elizabeth Shaft. I mean, we all remember that. Yeah. And he gets Thumb by Jack. Thumb is kind of our internal word that we use for things. If you get the thumb action. It's not good. Let's just say that. So he gets that from Jack at the end of the movie, right? He essentially gets the short end of the stick. We'll say that instead, instead of the thumb action. There we go. That way people aren't like going, thumb action, what the hell? <laughs> Just let it go, people. <laughs> but he's getting that from Jack at the end of the movie, right? Yes. For for all practical purposes. Yes. There's some humor. There's He's going to like go after him. He's giving him five minutes, head start, that kind of stuff. Okay. Right. But yes. he's still getting the, the short end of the stick. And that bit of being a loser continues through the entire movie here in Dead Man's Chest until the freaking very end where... Like, the back cover closes with Norrington finally catching a break. So the book closes with Norrington almost on top here. Almost on top, because we, we don't see him in his fancy new duds, you know, that kind of thing. Sure, he's selling everyone out. But for his character, he takes home the win. And I think that's important. And of course, like I said, we don't exactly see all the details go down of the negotiation between him and Beckett. Which is kind of a bit of a cliffhanger. It's like a, a cliffhanger for movie numero three. Right? Yes. Along with all the other freaking cliffhangers that are happening in this movie. Yes. That's going on. But that's just another one to add to the, the cliffhanger topper. Would this still beating heart attract flies? Heck yeah. Flies Is are it just... stinky? Does it matter? Flies I'm are just, just all over everything. Can you imagine the humidity? Because that bag looked goopy too. You got a, a, a heart outside of the chest. Yeah, in, but it's In the outside. humid... Humid Caribbean. It's Come been on. outside the chest for ages. And yeah, it's still alive. It's 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 slimy, probably. <laughs> well, it looked gross in the bag. I mean, it looked goopy. Well, there you go. Anywhere there's goop, there's flies. <laughs> Those disgusting little creatures. Not that they're not needed. They're a keystone species, of course. But I'm talking uh, just disgusting. 
Yeah, they are. So yeah, it's appropriate that they, they don't have taste good either. I flies think it. In. it depends. I don't the know. dogs don't like them. But why do they eat them? That's the thing. <laughs> That's a good, good question. Why do they eat bees? That's true. They're contributing to the decline of the pollinators. The whole point is, is that where was my point? Your point was that they digitize flies in there. So I like that. I guess the little detail. Little flies. By the way, at the time when I was just watching it, we had flies in our family room, so they were kind of adding to the effect. It was like one of those 3D movie theaters that have, yeah. or the 4D, where they have like the touch sensors that they spray you with water and yeah. vibrate your seat. This one actually released flies into our house. Yep. I can live with that. <laughs> can you? I didn't I like know. the flies in the house. <laughs> it's, the, it's the beating heart that we have downstairs. That's the real problem. You're, oh, You're completely missing that. that part. That's why there's flies. We have a beating heart downstairs. <laughs> So after we fade out from Point Royal, the thing with Norrington, we end up in the the finger quote bayou here. Or maybe it's the bayou. Maybe not finger quote. They do. No, no. It is a bayou. Yeah. So the beginning of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride is essentially what's happening here. And we talked about all that in the early minutes when we first went to Tia Dalma's that this is kind of like Xavier Atencio's like on screen manifestation of Pirates of the Caribbean ride happening here. So the candles, the darkness, the sounds of the swamp. I mean, it really, in the it, all of it reminds me of the fireflies and the sounds of the Disneyland ride. Like when you hop aboard Pirates of the Caribbean. It's right there. But what do you think of the somber scene on the slow boat ride here? What are your thoughts on it? I, I think it's kind of cool, actually. These are actual swamp people, by the way. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Did we talk about them at all? I don't know. I don't think so. This is the first time the swamp people came around. So I don't I think we, we really saw, talked about swamp people. I mean, people. we saw they were hidden in the the trees before. We kind of saw oh, them lurking. Maybe. But, but now they're really out in the open. Okay. Swamp people. Do we have any info swamp on Swamp people. That they're holding candlelight. Isn't that like a reality show? I don't know. I think I remember seeing something about There's swamp. There's some swamp. Yeah, but I don't know what it is. Okay. That's a good thing, probably. So they're actually, this is a candlelight vigil for Jack. While leading a spooky procession. As Jack's crew arrives at the bayou. But as far as swamp people, I don't... No, they're living in the swamp. They're living in the swamp. I mean, I'm torn about the whole thing. Why? Because, you don't like it? Well, no, I didn't say that. How dare you? Because there's broader implication than that, and I don't want to be uh, called out. But my here's my thinking. Is Verbinski trying to double down on the idea that Jack's actually dead by setting this up? Or is he just maybe setting up a surprise ending to, to lead us to that? Because Jack is dead. What are you talking about? Is it a nod to the power of Tia Dalma then too? Because the remaining Motley crew show up to have a kind of a swampy, the swampy candlelight vigil that you were talking about happening here. Oh, the, the voodoo vigil. Oh, vigil. Damn it. The voodoo vigil. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. The voodoo vigil. Is that what's going on here? I mean, because uh, I'm not really sure. There's close-ups of these peeps with tracks of the tears, you know, Smokey Robinson style. <laughs> I really love the visuals. I think it's spectacular. I think it looks oh, really yeah, cool. Oh, yeah, it's really neat. And it, it is a ride. It's a home run in the bayou. That's yeah. that's what it is. But the whole kind of idea here, I mean, okay, the darkness, the points of light, I said all that. It reminds me of the theme park ride. But what the hell is happening here on the Pantano River? That's what I want to know. I mean, I like the somber music, which is called Fetching Back Wicked Jack, by the way. That's, hmm. that's the, the music piece. And it works really well with the Bayou sounds. That it does. It's like uh, nicely integrated. And of course, the title of the piece is awesome too. But here's where this takes a wild turn. And it, and I don't know what's going on with it. I, it's, and maybe it's this is why I'm torn with it. Is because 
It's almost this scene to some extent has lost its power that it could have had. And it really has a lot to do with like unpacking things for Jack here. Now, I remember watching this originally and wondering what the hell was going on. Why would there be such an outpouring of emotion for Sparrow by these people, right? We see him get that character transformation we talked about in previous episodes. You know, that whole character arc thing. Yeah. But if you remember, this is why the scene becomes more important or impactful and talks about his character. Because there's this deleted scene in At World's End, I think it was, where we get this backstory of Jack and his pirate brand. You know, he has the P on his wrist. The one that explains that Jack was employed by the East India Trading Company and Beckett told him to transport slaves on the Wicked Wench. Then Jack refuses and Cutler burned his ship and branded him a pirate, okay? Yeah. So, here's the theory. Are these Bayou folks here holding the candlelight vigil, are they none other than those that would have been the slaves? Did Jack free these people? Did he not do the bidding of Cutler Beckett and the East India Company and... These are the freed slaves. Is this why they're so emotional that Jack died? They're the very ones he freed. And I think that's the money shot. I mean, I don't want to go into all the details for this because this will be popping back up in season three, obviously. But that's the lead up we never really get or got, especially here at the end of this movie. We're wondering why are all these people sad for Jack? Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of loose ends in Dead Man's Chest and At World's End can be considered kind of one big, long movie. I mean, seriously, they're one big, long movie. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it. But this just confirms that Jack is never really that selfish of a captain to begin with. I mean, it's another instance. It's just like in Curse of the Black Pearl, here in Dead Man's Chest and stretching way back to his Wicked Winch days, he does what's right. He ultimately does that. He strives to be kind of that ruthless pirate. He wants to do that. But he has like this pinch of morality that goes on with him. And saving slaves, I mean, come on, who can argue that that's not noble? Right. But you took that away from him in this movie because we don't have that backstory. That's the power of the vigil. That's the power of it for me. Don't you think? I mean, that's what makes this even more of a somber minute. I mean, we just don't get that damn payoff on such a powerful part of Jack. Because that's the part that we miss when we find out. that. And plus it gets cut out and it has to leak out or however it came out. I don't remember. I should have looked it up. But... Does, is this mentioned, or is it even mentioned in Dead Men Tell No Tales? i got to revisit that. This whole kind of idea of Jack freeing these slaves and all this kind of stuff, this is where it could have been the powerful part. Otherwise, it's just people that we don't even know are coming out in a vigil for Jack. Is it is it representation of a vigil? Uh, vigil. Jeez, what, how long have I been saying vigil? It's a vigil for, for us. Is it like that's representation of the audience? Is that supposed Maybe. to be us that... Because we, they can't, you know, we can't all be together sad that Jack died. So people on screen are doing it. That, that's all my, that's all I'm saying. I think the real tragedy is we missed the part that shows that Jack was this hero. And maybe that's why they included it in this. And it was supposed to pay off in At World's End and it never really does. Right. That's possible. I don't know. It should have been, it, I mean, we spent 20 some odd minutes on freaking Pelagosto. The Cannibal Island. You don't think they could have put in 30 seconds of, of this as a payoff? Yeah, that's true. And then to this would have been why. would have been a huge, powerful scene. And then everybody would have been like, geez, Elizabeth, you just, what the hell? You killed a guy who freed a bunch of slaves, you bastard. Right? Yeah. Man. And it's like a deleted scene, like I said. I mean, I need to check it out again. Before we start at World's End or when we start or whatever, 
I need to check out the deleted scene. I need to get my my bearings straight on that. But that's what I'm thinking. That's my my idea. And I think that's been floated around the internet as well and it's popped up. This idea that those are the freed slaves or people have thought about it. I'm not the only one who's been thinking about this. But that's what makes this scene emotional beyond just about Jack's death. I mean, it's like really the death of a hero. A pirate turns down a paying gig to save people? Come on. Then you compare it to Elizabeth's decision to sacrifice Jack. I mean, that makes it more egregious. She's clearly devastated of her action, but now look at her. Who's the truly selfish one, comparatively speaking? I mean, she's born with a silver spoon in her mouth. She's ditching some riches and aristocracy to be with a blacksmith she loves. On the other hand, you have a pirate who saved people from slavery. Damn you, Elizabeth. <laughs> ah! You know, she should be feeling guilty. She should. Dang it. I'm all fired up. There we yeah. go. I don't know why. Why am I fired up? Of, I don't know. Over all this from a movie that <laughs> was 14 years ago. I don't know. It's just an interesting look at the characters. And I really wish I could remember how I felt after watching Elizabeth kill Jack. Kill. Finger quotes again. But I don't think I like held any ill will against her. Probably because I assumed Jack wasn't really dead. I mean, I'm somewhat smart enough to know that, come on, they didn't kill off Jack Sparrow for the third movie. They didn't? I think we're all adults here. Oh. We don't act like adults, but I think most of us are adults. That's what makes it worth it for both Elizabeth and Jack, though. Or I think worth it and works for them because Verbinski brings that great writing to fruition and he keeps both characters from like their popularity from plunging just because one of deceitful action or Beckett you know Beckett excluded but it's not like we think anything less of Elizabeth I don't think on a whole oh yeah I did oh Heather does even Norrington stepping back I mean I get the warm and fuzzies for him I'm glad to see him get a win I'm just glad to see him kind of get back to the win, even if it betrays Jack, Will, and Elizabeth, and everybody else there. Well, I don't think he had any loyalty to any of them. No, he didn't, but it's it's good to so see him get really a win. it's not really betraying them. It's... I mean, he always manages to kind of hover in the middle role, not quite a hero or a villain. I mean, I, I say betray as in betray from kind of this guy who just, like, hangs out in the middle. He he goes either way. Yeah. He's He has no loyalty yeah. anywhere. So there you go. Yeah, we can just say that. I mean, Elizabeth continues to wallow in her betrayal. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're nicely reminded of that. And then we get uh, a thing of what's up with Will. I mean, it's easy to forget that he's not actually mourning Jack. It's his father. Because he loses the ability to set bootstrap soul free. Yeah, it's it's hard to... Or it's... What is... I think uh, Will is going through multiple things here. His dad. Yeah. Elizabeth. Oh, I forgot about Elizabeth. That's just because I put baby in the corner. He's there. not. I don't think he's really mourning Jack. He didn't have that. Kind no, of, he's not mourning Jack. No, he's got his dad and Elizabeth. But that's the and magic the betrayal of, of Elizabeth. There you go. There's betra- betrayal. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. But Tia Dalma knows that. Oh yeah. Because she knows not only what's bothering Elizabeth, but she kind of hits up Will with the drink to comfort him and says some stuff about, "I know the pearl is gone" or whatever it was, and. <laughs> Can't free your father. <laughs> Do you want the words? Sure, give us the she words. She says, it's a shame. I know you're thinking that the uh, with the pearl, you could have captured the devil and set your father's soul free. There you go. Another and devil And the will reference. says, doesn't matter now. The pearl is gone along with its captain. So he says that, but really I think he's talking about his father at this point. Yeah. I think that's the important part. I mean, although they're all connected, each of these characters, to some extent, I think, are kind of on their own adventure. They have their own goals. Yeah. 
Then you have Gibbs, who, who actually, which is cool, he sucker punches Elizabeth when he's talking about honesty. <laughs> I mean, Verbinski cuts to Elizabeth as soon as Gibbs hits the word honesty in his toast. He's like talking about, you know, oh, the honest streak kind of thing ran out. And then all of a sudden it pans to Elizabeth. It's like cuts to Elizabeth right there with the tears. Yeah. The As I said, the uh, tracks of her tears. Tracks of her tears. Smokey Robinson <laughs> reference there. Oh, an office <laughs> reference? That's like a multi-layered reference. And if yeah. it's a Smokey, Ro- if it's an office Smokey Robinson, Smokey Robinson reference, it, it really is like multi-layered. But that's the whole point. He really just gives it to her. And Verbinski's like, hey, maybe we should check out Elizabeth, who just got sucker punched for that one. Yeah. She's feeling bad, but this will make her feel worse. Exactly. Of course, the uh, shack is, you know, it's a superb set. Oh, yeah. It's and really we talked about looking. that before. My question is, why is Will beating up the table? No. Oh, I got stuff on that. Do you really? Oh, yeah. What do you got? I can't get there yet. Okay. Because I just wanted to to remind people that if they wanted to hear stuff about the shack that we talked about, I think that's all the way back in minute 51. They can do that. There's cool artifacts and stuff that we talked about. Now, to your point, the one thing that I think we really need to step back and mention is that there's this thumping sound happening during the boat ride along the river. You hear that? It's like at these cool echoing sound effects that takes place at these kind of long intervals, right? Yeah. Regular intervals. It's like this thump. When Then when we fade to Will and Tia's shack, he's sticking his knife into the wood table making a similar noise. Right. That's a thump. And it's a nice connection, I think, that spans the boat ride, the whole scene, the shack, all of that. It just really ties it all together. Now this is where we go crazy town. Because I couldn't just let that go. I just, I freed up my mind like Bootstrap's soul was getting freed. As if the Black Pearl came to save me. And all of a sudden my soul was free. And, uh, you know, as a necromancer, my <laughs> the, the deal I made was broken, okay? Okay. And so now I'm free to pursue these other thoughts. That's where I'm going with this. Okay. This other connection beyond just here at Tia Dalma's, it's this idea that the sound is happening before we even get to the shack, Okay. And I think it's symbolic of Davy's heart being handed over to Beckett back at Port Royal. Uh, it's the heartbeat from Davy Jones still happening here. Okay? Yeah. But that's not all. Okay. It's the underlying threat at this point, even though the heart is far off. I mean, the heartbeat and Norrington's actions are really kind of reverberating across the world, especially on the minds of the Motley crew. Okay? Everybody's feeling the guilt and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I don't know. Maybe there's a connection to, dare I say... Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart. Anyone? Anyone, Bueller? Oh, yeah. Who just pirates of the Caribbean, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, you know what? This is an Edgar Allan Poe moment. I don't know if you know it, the plot of A Telltale Heart is this short story, okay? It's about things that are, that happen quite frequently around here. Murder and dismemberment, okay? 
We'll just say that. Okay. That's why we have the heart, <laughs> the still beating heart down in the family room that we were talking about earlier with the yes. flies. You remember that? It's on the table. So in this thing, though, this story, the murderer hides this guy's body, the pieces of his body under the floorboards after he kills him, okay? Yeah. There's a whole story. Now that'd be stinky. Well, I'm butchering the whole thing. I'm not saying I'm going to retell the entire Poe tale in his eloquent words. I'm just giving you the rundown here. So the police arrive because of a noisy, nosy neighbor to investigate, okay? And then they end up sitting directly over the hidden body pieces on the floorboards, okay? The guy rolls up some chairs like, "Uh ah, they ain't ever going to do this. I'm just going to put some chairs right over the floorboards here. They won't even notice. Like I said, I'm running through this quickly. I'm butchering Poe. Luckily, I'm out of my my uh, my deal there. So the deal is broken, so I can't freely butcher this stuff at this point. Anyways, he begins to feel uncomfortable and notices a ringing in his ears, okay? Yeah. As the ringing grows louder, he comes to the conclusion that it is the heartbeat of this old man that he killed coming from under the floorboards. So the sound increases steadily... Though the officers seem to pay no attention to it, okay? He's terrified by this kind of violent beating of the heart now. And he's convinced that the officers are, like, aware not only of the heartbeat, but also of his guilt now. And so the murderer breaks down. He confesses. He tells him, hey, okay, tear up the floorboards. And then all of a sudden you got old man body parts everywhere, right? Yeah. There you go. That's the telltale heart in a telltale thumb shell there, okay? A nutshell. Sit in a nutshell. So, this is my point. Is this the thumping? The heartbeat coming from the desk of Beckett? A piece of guilt for Elizabeth for throwing Jack under the proverbial bus or the proverbial kraken, whatever's more appropriate here. Keelhauled him. Because, there we go. That's more appropriate for a pirate ship. She keelhauled Jack. Will is feeling guilty that he couldn't save his dad bootstrap? That's what I'm wondering. That's the beauty of this allegorical moment, I think. Because during the boat ride, the thumping sound is fainter than in the shack. This is where Elizabeth and Will are kind of stewing in their juices. His knife beating, the heart beating. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know, maybe I'm reaching a bit. But wouldn't it be awesome if this was a connection to Edgar Allan Poe? That's all I'm saying. That would be awesome. I don't think you really feel that way. I don't, I don't get the vibe. I don't get the heartbeat vibe. I don't get the lust for murder from you right now. I don't know how to make it right sound now. like it. Where's that murderous lust you normally have? I don't have that. I'm sorry. I don't know. Maybe that's all I got to say then. Maybe I should end here on a literary <laughs> note. Because it's one of those rare moments where we leave on a high note, not like a euphemism. And I know people out there are going to be going like, wait, what the hell? What the hell's wrong with them? Get these overthinkers some damn rum. Stat! Because why are they ending on an intellectual note as opposed to making fun of some euphemism? I think you should tell us the story. It's only like four pages long. I'm not going to read Telltale Heart here. It's a new podcast. Yeah, but see, then we got to fit it in between at the table with the Donner Party, our food podcast. (laughs) You know the whole story. It just gets difficult, so we don't really have time for that. But I think I'm just going to end there, call it good. And even though I maybe kind of ruined it by talking about euphemisms and rum, although if I went out on the real high note, because we did bring it back to alcohol... Now I can really wrap things up, then, I guess. Maybe that's me getting off my high horse now. I don't know. What do you got? You got anything else? Nope. That's it for me. So you're basically just wanting I'm to go I'm thumping out alcohol. of the room. Yeah, I think do it. So thanks for listening, Scallywags. If you like the show, give us a review on Apple Podcast. It helps us grow the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. Tell us 
What the hell were you thinking with the Edgar Allan Poe reference, you dumbasses? You can say something like that. We'll play it on the show, possibly. Cry a little bit. Tracks of our tears going down our cheeks. But we just might play it, as I said. And you can give us a shout-out at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. Don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook. We have a Facebook listeners group. And we're sometimes on Twitter. You know, years ago we were on Twitter. All the links are at theblackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. And of course, we're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty freaking filthy bilge rats we are. Analyzing, scrutinizing, and, and plundering. And plundering. You stole my plundering. I know. And don't forget, it's not so much the plague you have to worry about. It's the people reacting to the set apocalypse. I'm just going to end with that for a little while. There we go. Where's my rum? Let's go. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. What life of piracy. Hail Chris of Gilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shout Reach Media Production.